Hey guys, welcome back to the Book Club Podcast, where each month we read a contemporary or classic sci-fi or fantasy book and break it down and try and learn something from it. My name is David. My name is Laura. I gotta say, this month has been interesting because we kind of came out of the Christmas month, which was heavily themed. Yeah. Um, if there was a theme for this month in Brisbane, it would be hot as hell. Oh my god, yes. Um, and now it started raining, which sucks because this book is very dry and deserty, but you know what? We'll take the thematic inconsistency. It's been a bit rough, hey? Yeah. So we were like, why not read something that is quite arduous and harrowing, just like the heat, and that has a lot of deserts in it? I didn't theme it beforehand, but I'll fucking take the credit. Um, because this month we read The Gunslinger uh, by Stephen King. So you hadn't read this before, have you? So give me your yeah. kind of initial thoughts on, on this one. Um, just in general? Yeah, just like your kind of general thoughts going into it, and then we'll kind of get stuck into some of the the more nitty-gritty and after the summary. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of the kind of fantasy novel that I don't read a lot of, mm-hmm. I find. So the kinds of fantasy novels that I read is a lot of, like, chosen one and magic and that kind of thing. Like this, YA fic, kind of. Yeah, sort of. And this one is very... It's got sort of that bleak fantasy thing going on mm-hmm. where it's fantasy but it's also really dark yeah um, super depressing it's a bit yeah. like my book a little bit where it's like this is a really grim world to live you know in. honestly at points um i was reading it and i was <laughs> like so this is where david gets it from yeah it's that kind of i could it's it's very low fantasy where it's like this is a world that sucks to live in it's very depressing no one's happy and nothing is going well and that's kind of the vibe that you get when you read this story i mean like, even to the extent where like um the the phrase that comes up in the story a lot is the the world's moved on yeah um which i love in this in this universe because it it like that statement alone implies so much without saying a whole lot um the original book was published in 1982 which is interesting because that was kind of king's wonder years um mm-hmm. that was when he was just prolific and he was that was sort of just as he was kind of getting into drugs and stuff so this was like kind of um one of his big first, like, non-horror kind of things that he put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came out to relative, um, I would say, a mediocre reception at the time, um, just based on what I've read, because it was it's just like a... The original story was basically just a Western with some fantasy elements. The revised copy, which we'll talk about after the summary, has a lot more of that sort of... The low fantasy elements and stuff, and, and you know, the world's moved on, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whilst it was in the original, a bit less present... Um, what did you think of this coming into it from, obviously, like, aside from the genre changes, coming into it from something like what we talked about last month, like Hogfather and even Gaiman before that, was it, did you find it super different even just from, like, a style perspective? Um, well, from a style perspective, I think it's a lot closer to Gaiman than to Pratchett. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Um, especially because it does deal with a lot of, like, sexual themes and stuff like that and a lot of weird, trippy stuff that... Gaiman like, also does. Yeah, it's very. Um, what's the word for it? Like non. Uh, what's that word? Um, like when something is like, it's hard to tell like what's real and what isn't. Like it kind of blurs some yeah, of that stuff. It does a bit. We like, is it magic or is everyone crazy? <laughs> <laughs> like that, which is kind of fun. I like mm. that. You know, I, I think it it adds an element to this. I mean, King's always been interested in the blurring of the the supernatural, the preternatural, and the natural, and trying to like trying to examine, like, what's someone's psychological kind of condition telling them is happening versus what's really happening. And then does it matter there's a difference? Like, The Shining is a good example of that, the book at least. The film, a bit less so, it's a bit more horror. But, like, that blurring of those things makes it super interesting where you're like, I don't know if all these characters are fucking insane or if this is all really happening. Yeah. I get that a lot in this story where I'm like, is Roland just 
kind of losing it, yeah. you know? I, I think part of it also where it differs from American Gods is that American Gods is very much like gods are real, magic exists, and this book is more like actually Roland doesn't know it, but science is a thing. And... Super duper. There's like nuclear reactors and things in this world. Yeah. Um, but then so also Walter, like the Man in Black is a magician. He's a magician, but also he shows Roland a vision of the universe and shit. Mm. But then he talks about a creator. So weird. there's this weird melding of science and mm. fiction. Yeah, to the extent where like even the slow moodies that you see toward the end of the story, they're like they're like Fallout style mutant kind of yeah. ghouls or whatever, but also they're somehow like magic, it's implied. Yeah. It's really weird. Um, it's quite odd. Let me get get into the summary and then we can talk a little bit about a lot of those elements. Cause, and then what I want to talk about especially was the difference between the original and the revised one. Because I think you'll find it fascinating having read Gaiman and having read Pratchett as well. Uh, so The Gunsling obviously is a 1982 novel by Stephen King. Um, and it's the first chapter in the epic fantasy saga that follows Roland Death's Chain. Which I for a long time, because I'd never spoken to another human about it, thought was Deschane. It's definitely Death's Chain. Is it? Yeah, it's in the audiobook they call it Death's Chain. I mean, I assumed it was Deshane because it sounds cooler. But I, egg on my I face. would pronounce it Deshane. I yeah. mean, like, apparently, who's to say what's correct. Apparently, it's a reference to like the Arthurian myth or something, which is fairly prevalent in the story. But Fair whatever, enough. whatever, whatever, man. <laughs> um, we open with Roland, the last of the gunslingers, pursuing the mysterious man in black across the desert. Along the way, Roland passes through Tull, a small town where the man in black has left a trap for him. Roland spends some time there, but ultimately ends up killing the whole town as they turn on him. Roland then pursues the man in black across the desert, and on the brink of dehydration and hysteria, comes across a way station where he meets an otherworldly boy, Jake Chambers. Jake and Roland then travel together in pursuit of the man in black. Jake slowly loses his memories from his time in New York, but remembers enough to reveal that the man in black killed him in that world, and he woke up then, subsequently, in Midworld. Roland and Jake bond as they travel, and we learn of Roland's coming of age in the great city of Gilead. Roland tells of his defeat of his master, Court, and the progressive collapse of civilization under the threat of revolution from a man they call Martin. Eventually, Roland and Jake follow the man in black under a great mountain. They travel in the dark for an unknowable time, fighting off slow mutants and their own desperation. Finally, Jake and Roland are about to leave when the man in black confronts them and explains that if Roland is to save the boy... He will have no answers on his quest. Roland lets Jake fall to his death and pursues the man in black. Jake's last words are, there are other worlds than these. Roland and the man in black take Palava, where Roland learns that the tower, his prize, stands at the nexus of time and space, and the entire universe exists within a blade of grass. When Roland wakes, the man in black is a skeleton, and he himself has aged some 20 years. It's unclear if the man in black is actually dead. Roland journeys on, tower-bound, and reaches the Eastern Sea, where he falls asleep on the shores of a great ocean. And that's kind of the story. Like, mm. not a lot happens yeah, in this narrative. Yeah, there's not a lot, like, of stuff, but there's a lot of little details and stuff. Also, um, I just read this. My copy said he aged 10 years. I I don't remember wh- whether it's 10 or 20. In the original, it was 20, but I don't know. Um Again, a lot of the revision and stuff, um, the specifics were changed because originally Roland was 30 in the original story and he aged 20 years to be 50, but I think now his age isn't specified. Yeah. So it's, like, less obvious because the idea now is that Roland and the Man in Black in particular are these kind of ageless characters. Yeah. Then And the Man in Black 
does make reference to that. Yes, and it's interesting because the revised copy, which is this one that I have here, is not the one that I read originally. Uh Um, And it was revised in 2003 after the other books had come out. Yeah, I also have the revised copy, Yeah, um, clearly, because what else are they going to be selling? Right, Um, because, yeah, the original was interesting, though, because, like, little things, so I just wanted to give you, like, a few examples of things he changed, which will give you some perspective on the kind of story that this is now versus what it was, which I think is interesting because, yeah. like, especially something as iconic as this, he made the changes to make it more in line with the rest of the series, but at the same time, it it has some interesting implications. So, in the original version, during the fight at Tull, Ali is seized by a townsperson and used as a human shield, and she begs Roland not to fire, but he basically just kills them both. In the revised version, she's been driven mad by Walter, and by the time she's seized, she begs him to kill her because she said the word 19 to yeah. to the crazy, um, the weed addict. Uh, equally, in the original text, Walter's death at the end of the story is of uh, less certainty to Roland, whereas in the revised edition, Roland speculates if the bones are like a trick or if he's really died. So in the original text, it's like really unclear who the bones belong to. Yeah. Um, and also in the original text, Walter and Martin are completely not the same character. Even in the later story, um, Walter is then pursued and murdered, like, later on in the story, whereas in this one, they're definitely the same person. Um, and then also in the following text in Wizard and Glass, uh, along with Randall Flagg, they're all revealed to be the same person. Um, but in the revised edition of The Gunslinger, there's no reference to Walter, Martin, or Flagg as being the same person. So it's plausible they are the same, but may not be. So it's one of those things where King added some ambiguity ambiguity for the sake of making the narrative feel a little more cohesive. So mm-hmm. instead of you being like, well, why would Martin and the Man in Black be the same? You just kind of go, well, maybe they are. Like, it's never yeah. directly addressed. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting... Well, I mean, the Man in Black does make, in, in my copy, he makes specific reference to the fact that he is Martin. And then even to the fact that he's then John Farson or Farston, the the... Um, the revolutionary or someone like that, or um, he goes to visit sure him. I, I can't recall, but there's some reference in there where, like, he he. Oh no, I think what it is is he he lies and says that he he goes west to join the man Faston or whatever in yeah. his revolution, but it, secretly he stays and takes on the identity becomes, of Martin. M- no, the or other guy, other way around, Walter. Um, Walter. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of cool because that again, like, it just adds more depth to the story that wasn't there previously. Um. Yeah, I think those changes are curious because it clearly shows that King had his original text and was like, let's kind of innovate on what I have and make it more in line with the rest of the narrative. Yeah. And I think it works really well, especially like, as you said, the science and the fantasy kind of blending is the wrong word, but that kind of intersection. Yeah. Is fucking fascinating. So one of my concerns with the story, or one of the things I always notice when I reread it is the first half of the book is really action packed and really like intrigue bound. Where you're like, what's going to happen in Toll? Is this a trap the whole time? And the second half of the book is, like, mostly metaphors. Yeah, the second half, it's weird because it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm. Well, like, you know it's always going to end with um, Roland, or I guess they call him the gunslinger through pretty much the whole book, mm-hmm. but him meeting up with the man in black. Yeah. Um, and you know pretty much from page one that that's what's going to happen at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty much there's not a lot of suspense around what's going to happen to Jake, especially because, um, Roland pretty much, uh, pretty early on goes, I'm going to have to kill this boy. 
Yeah, there's a lot of, like, intuition happening in this story from Roland that's curious. Where he sort of... I don't know if he, like... I'm not sure if it's implied that he has some kind of pre- pre- like precognitive abilities or whatever. But I think he just is a man like that operates entirely on instinct. Yeah. And there's something interesting about... Like, throughout the story, he has these kind of... Um, uh, I don't know, like... They're not even visions, but he just intuits things. Like, he goes, oh, yeah, this, is, this boy is a trap laid by the man in black. Yeah. And, you know, the minute that he starts to, to care about the boy, he goes, oh, shit, I'm in trouble, you know? Yeah. But it's not, like, anything in the text or the story that tells him that. Yeah, he just kind of knows. He's like, oh, yeah, this boy is going to have to die, and I'm going to have to let it happen. And the only way for him not to die is for me to turn back. Right. And then later on, he's like, oh, if we turn back now, we're both dead. Right. And th- and that's kind of, I think that's kind of to the themes of the story as well, where, you know, Roland, there's a, there's a thing that's explored later on in the in the whole narrative, like across all the books, which I highly recommend if, if you've just read the first one, I highly recommend diving into the rest when you have time, which is that Roland is kind of a, he's like a tower junkie where he's like, he'll do anything to get to the dark tower because he thinks that's his like destiny. Yeah. And, you know, it's because of some trauma that he experienced previously and it's a sequence of events that led him to become like that. But like he even talks about it toward the end of the game, uh, toward the end of the story where he says something like, um, it's just after he's had the conversation with the man in black where he's like, what other like, you know, indignities will he have to endure to get to the tower? This surely can't be the worst. And he has this intuition where he's like, this isn't the worst thing I'm going to do, but he still doesn't turn back. You know, he goes, well, like, this is my, this is what I've decided to do. I'm going to make it happen. And even, I don't know, there's a reflection of that with the character of the cook who who gets hung. Yeah. Um, all that, that flashback stuff, did that, was that interesting to you? Because a lot of the criticism for this series is that you spend like a good solid 30% of the whole series flashbacking, like or in flashbacks with Roland's like early days and stuff. Did that? I mean, to be honest, the flashback stuff was kind of more interesting to me than an endless trek through the desert. So, you know, there's yeah, that. Good um, way to break it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a, and a cool blending of that, that Arthurian myth and like, cowboy stuff as well which i yeah. thought was super cool and like weird like rite of passage stuff yeah super um, cool i love all that all that stuff i'm like yeah that's like yeah. super interesting and weird and like kind of like you know i don't i don't think anyone had done that kind of genre pastiche before where they were like it's fantasy but it's also like western but it's also sci-fi but it's also like post-apocalyptic because there's an implication in the story that it's our world, but like yeah. a million years in the because future. You have or whatever. like all this like crazy stuff, and even the man in black talks about oh, you know, they could do this and that and whatever mm. stuff that's like familiar to us, being like yeah. Um, although maybe more a bit more advanced than us because a bit further in the future. He, yeah, he, he talks about having like a cure for cancer, which right, <laughs> no, which we haven't <laughs> we haven't done that one yet. No, um, but no, you're right. It's it's and I, like I fucking love that. That's one of my favorite things about this. Like this kind of ongoing story particularly the first one as well is it's not too overbearing i think um i tweeted the other night because i was going through the structural edits um for my book for book two rather um and one of the comments that Aaron and i talk about a lot is that world building is about like hiding things that you don't notice are there so um we use the word smuggling but this story does a great job of smuggling a bunch of really interesting like kind of tidbits of of world building that you don't notice are there yeah like, for instance, at one point um, in the desert, Roland walks past, like, a crashed or, like, the remnants of a, a crashed, like, World War One plane. But it's described in such alien detail that you, unless you know that's what you're looking for, it just seems like 
like a husk of metal or something or rather you know same with like the waste station where they've got that the the elect the the nuclear nuclear pump or something that's getting water from the yeah. you know wells beneath but then even you have like these fantasy creatures like the the speaking demons and stuff um and that weird thing where he like fucks the demon in the circle yeah, that was weird. Very, like, that era King. Well, like, that was when yeah. he was writing It and shit, where, like, I don't know if you remember this, and if and if, and if you all remember this, but in the book, It, the original one, um, there's, like, a gangbang scene between all the kids, which is, like, King was very, like, I don't know what was going on at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think about it too much. <laughs> um, but I guess not a natural segue, but as an extension of that thought, um, there's not a lot of female characters in this story. Not a lot, no. And they're represented very strangely. Oh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because, um, I don't know, it was very... Yeah. So, like, you have Allie. Um, yeah. You have uh, uh, Roland's dead lover, Susan. You have the crazy preacher woman. You have Jake's nanny. And then you have, like, Roland's mother. And they're yeah. all very sexualized. Yeah. So, Susan, we learn almost nothing about, only that he lost her long mm-hmm. ago. And yeah. Things like that. So, mm-hmm. like... Don't really think I can give a judgment on that. But mm-hmm. Allie is a weird one because it's like she's got this big old scar on her face. I think it's forehead. Um, I think it's the idea is it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but basically no one will fuck her anymore. And she asks Roland for sex and yeah. they have a sexual relationship it's for very a weird. while. Very weird. And he kind of does it so that he can get information, I guess. Yeah. But then he also seems to care a little bit. I guess. I mean, Maybe he's such a he's such a, a weird way. Such he's, a weird character. He's kind of impenetrable in a way, but yeah. And I I think that's why he's so fast. Like I think that's that's what makes him so interesting because he's obviously like based on the Western <clears throat> stories that King would have grown up with. Like yeah. you know the, the kind of the cowboy mythology where he's the man with no name to the point where like for a lot of the book you don't know his name is Roland. Yeah. Um, well, I think they mention it pretty early on, but you forget. Because he's just the gunslinger. Because he just gets called the gunslinger for pages and pages and pages. He's Roland when he's a kid, but he's the gunslinger as an adult kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But even to the extent where, like, Jake... When when he starts to talk about his childhood with Jake, and he identifies... Like, in those those flashbacks, he's identified as Roland. You feel like he's opening up, and you feel like you're getting, like, a kind of look behind that stoicism. And even when, you know, Jeb, I think, is the the pianist who... um, you know, who Roland recognizes from his time in Magis with Susan. Um, that's a weird moment where you suddenly, like, at that point in the story, you think that Roland is just this, like, stoic cowboy dude, but there's just, like, a depth that suddenly, like, it's like a catastrophic, it's like a thunderclap where you're like, oh, shit, there's, like, there's this character who isn't, he's not just this, you know, faceless yeah, This guy has, murderer. like, a past. Yeah, which is weird, because when you read that, you don't expect him to have one. You're like, he's just always been pursuing this man in black, because you forget. Right, which is an interesting parallel with the the desert and stuff, which is described as like kind of sanitizing everything, um, which I like. I like a lot. So we we read June, which is another story that's set primarily in a desert. Yeah, I don't think June does deserts half as good as this story does. Probably not. I mean, it does some stuff quite well, like the whole like water thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this. This story does the bleakness yeah. of the desert quite well. The the um like the scale of it. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so cool. I love the I think it's cuz the descriptors aren't normal. He's not like oh the sun beats down or whatever. He talks about you know like the heat like um the heat takes away like s- smells and scents. Yeah. Which if you if you've ever been in like an actual desert, that's like a thing that happens. For whatever reason like it just kind of scorches away 
any of that that kind of trace of yeah. smell. I fancied I could feel the freaking sunburn. Ugh. Yeah, it's really like it. I I hated it. Like every time I read this book, I'm like, I hate this section. I wanted them to get to the fucking mountain already because it sucks, man. Like it fucking sucks, and it's just this. It's it's almost claustrophobic in a way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't know how he achieves that, but there, there's something vivid to the to his control of the prose in in that desert section. That, and maybe it's like the abundance of metaphors too that decentralize you a bit. Um. But man, when they when he talks about like Tull versus the desert itself, I'm like, man, never fucking leave that town, dude. Hmm. Stay there, man. Stay in the fucking stay in that creepy, ready to to blow fucking um tavern. Don't go out into that desert. You I don't want to go the there. Weird, crazy lady. Yeah, all the crazy mm. the crazy preacher lady, and yeah. also like Martin brings someone back to life, uh, and which... she's carrying the baby of. The man in black. And is it a demon? And then he kills it. I don't. Somehow. I don't know how. I think he shoots it. I don't know. Why don't she? She doesn't die. It doesn't. Does he just do? I don't. mm -hmm. Well, he he, he sticks his uh, gun on up there. He for sure aborts the child. Maybe he just mangles it with his gun. I don't know. Maybe. It doesn't. I don't remember there being a shot. Either way, you couldn't like write a story now where the protagonist performs an abortion with a gun barrel, yeah. and people be okay with that. Yeah, you probably couldn't. Like it's such a, it's such an extreme like eighties like king thing to oh, do. Man. Like what a white like it's fuck. There's a lot of stuff in the story. Where you're like Jesus Christ. Like and none of it's not none of it's especially non-progressive. Like none of it's like well you know pro-life or whatever. Like none of it's like cr- or like racist or anything. There is an element of this story where you just go, wow, this it's was like... just weird. It's just fucking bizarre. And I guess it's because the world is bizarre and these characters yeah. are bizarre, but... Yeah, I, I try and... Yeah. It's weird. It's a, it's a it's weird era king, you know? So what was the implication with Roland's mother? Because I think what I got was um, that the man in black, he definitely perhaps seduced her to some extent. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. she was definitely unfaithful to her husband with him. She was sort of enwrapped in his sort of spell or his magic or something like that. Yeah. Um, but the other implication, I, I mean, I guess the idea is that Roland is like such a simpleton, like not that he's dumb, but that he's just a very simple person that he was, he, he was unable to understand why that relationship existed. Yeah. So instead of like working through it and, trying to deal with it he resents martin he's like well if i just kill martin i'll fix it and like i'll have my mother's attention again so, yeah i need to become a gunslinger now yeah so he like he he races to kind of become a man in in, in the eyes of that society in order to fix this wrong that is out of his control so it's that idea of like roland trying to fix stuff that he can't actually manage and that's a big theme of his character so like at one point in this story court says something like um uh, control what you can and let everything else take a flying fuck at you or something like that is one of Court's aphorisms. And Roland can like Roland can't do that. So he controls what's in front of him, but he always he's always chasing the towel, which is out of his reach. Or he's trying to, you know, save his mother, which he can't do, or he's trying to save Susan, which he can't do, or he's trying to save Jake, which he can't do. Like it's it's that core paradox of his character is he's extremely talented, but he's just dumb enough that he can't work out how to like help himself. So I think it's kind of related to that in a lot of ways. Um, but the exact relationship that she and Martin have is, like, super unclear. Um, I think the idea is that maybe he's, like, enchanted her or something. Mm. Or he, or just, like, that Roland's father is just never there because he's out fighting this war. I mean, that too, probably. Yeah. Um, but, like, also the man in black says that he never managed to break her or something like that. I don't know what that means. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is that a sex thing? A lot I of the story, know. like, I just, it's all very ambiguous, which is kind of cool because it means that. Yeah. I mean, it gives people like us room to speculate. Well, yeah, and but like even room to be interested. We talked about this with Gaiman too, where like a lot of this, the God stuff is very like subtextual. Yeah. So you have a lot of room to like be like, oh, I wonder, you know, and like try your brain kind of, your imagination goes crazy. And I, I think King is a good person, particularly in this series where he's like, all of these things aren't super defined and they're very malleable. Same with like time and space and age and stuff where you're like, is yeah. Roland really immortal or is everyone else just a moron? You know? <laughs> Because that's kind of implied, where it's like, yeah, him and Martin are supposed to be these kind of immortal warriors traveling through time, but time is breaking down. So has it just been that, you know, the further they walk toward the tower, like, the well, the, the implication is that time passes slower the further out you get from the tower. So the further into Midworld he walks, the the more time has passed since, like, Gilead fell. Mm. If that makes Which is a super weird concept, but it's kind of... Uh, yeah, that's interesting, though. It's kind of explored throughout the rest of the series a little bit, where people are like, oh, there haven't been gunslingers for a thousand years. And it's not like Roland's a thousand years old. It's just time is breaking down. So there's that kind of um, what Court talks about, which is letting like the legend grow before you and beca- like letting the shadow grow hairs on its face and that sort of thing, where it's like, what is Roland's, what is Roland actually versus what do people think that a gunslinger is? And the conflict between those two things is where his character is. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he's there, even when he walks into Tull and they're all staring at his guns, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, as a dude with guns, we're fucked. Like this, they're, they're like staring at him thinking like something's going on here, but no one is interested in who he is as a person. And then you have Ali, who's the opposite, which doesn't give a shit like where he's from. She's just after something else. So I don't know. It's kind of, all of those things have like an interplay with the thematic overtures of the story as a whole, but especially this book, which is about traveling through this dead world. You know, and then later on, obviously, you know, they get to the yeah. where things aren't super dead because there's grass and they can shoot rabbits and they can eat food and stuff. Yeah. Um. What did you think about speaking of like that section, Jake's kind of inclusion as a character? Like, did you find the New York stuff weird? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a bit weird. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, especially the bit where he describes himself dying. That was kind of gross. And also, yeah. he's dying, but he's also, like, turning his head to look at stuff. Yeah, it's real weird. It's know. like, if you would, you would be dead by that point, surely. You wouldn't be able to move your neck. I don't know. And it's like, did he actually die? Or, like, is it an illusion? I don't know. Um, either way, like, that, yeah. Super unpleasant to read. Very unpleasant. <laughs> King does a lot yeah. of that, yeah, in this series yeah. especially. Just really grim things where it's, like, someone getting... There's at one point in the series where you walk through the entire process of someone getting paralyzed and oh. like it's like ten pages. It's like, dude, you don't uh. have to do that. <laughs> it's a lot. Um God. I find that stuff really hard, actually. That yeah. super graphic stuff. I think that's kind of the point, especially in this story. Like trying to really make you understand. Like even when um the man in black brings back the 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 addict from the dead or whatever. Oh yeah, and spits on spits yeah. on him a bunch. It's really confronting to read. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me really yeah. uncomfortable. But it, I think that's the whole point: is you're supposed to feel that kind of the the dread or like the the dreadful like hysteria or excitement or whatever that is. Yeah. It's just super unpleasant and really gross and weird. But you have to be present throughout it because you have to get to the next bit of the story. Spits on him and then jumps over the body a bunch of times. He, like, vaults over it. It's so fucking weird. It's so weird. <laughs> He's suddenly an acrobat, like, whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah. 
And, like, everyone in the bar is, like, enchanted, and Allie's, like, masturbating. It's very weird. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's all super weird. <laughs> like, I, it's just, it's a lot. Oh, God, so much stuff happening at, happening at once. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of this this idea of, like, well, what what is this world, and is he actually magic, or is it just, like, shared hysteria kind of thing? Yeah. Um, what did you think about, like, that, that conversation with Martin and Roland at the end, where this sort of... That weird, I don't know even know what you call it, like a dream sequence or something? I don't know. Yeah, the really long night. Yeah, what was your vibe on Was Did that, did you feel like you learned anything or was it just all like kind of nonsense? I mean, I learned probably as much as Roland learned, which was keep going east. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, a whole bunch of evasions and cryptic shit. Yeah. Um, I feel like King's really good at cryptic shit. Really good, especially in this series. There's a lot of stuff in that which, like, when you've read the whole series and you understand, like, the way that the series ends, that a lot of that stuff is really interesting because, it imp- like, there's there's a thing that happens in this story, especially in this one, where Martin talks about Roland's current actions as if they're in the past tense or as if he's done them before, and it ties into, like, the themes of the series. Really interesting stuff in that last sequence that kind of... Mm. kind of. I don't want to talk about it too much because, like, it does spoil the whole series, but... Interesting. So, like, when Roland's like, well, you know, should I do this thing? He goes, well, you never did before. And it's, like, he has these weird tenses where, like, is he, like, seeing through time? Like, what's that deal? And there's a lot of that in that last sequence, which is super fascinating. And I'm, like, super impressed with the way that kind of King handles that stuff. Especially because the the Man in Black isn't a super prevalent character until toward the end of the series. So, it gives you that kind of expositional groundwork for the rest of the narrative. Yeah, I was curious because you haven't read the rest of the series if any of that, if it just all feels like very cryptic and vague, but yeah, deliberately most, so. Mostly, yeah. I mean, there's some, yeah. Um, it's It definitely feels deliberate mm-hmm. um, in the way that, you know, there's some recurring themes and stuff in there mm-hmm. with earlier prophecies and whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. especially like the oracle from the circle that. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, where it sort of tells his prophecy or whatever. Yeah, so there's there's a bit of overlap there, which, mm-hmm. you know, it makes it feel more deliberate. Because um, it's like another reference point for that data. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, forget, I always forget that happens. I always forget that he fucks her for a reason, because, like, it's a very yeah. weird... Yeah. <laughs> In the film, from memory, it's just the demon's, like, trying to convince... It's, like, takes the form of his father, tries to convince him to go with it or something, and it just, I've completely forgotten what happened so bad. Um, I did I did a video essay about it where I tried to fix it. It's unfixable. <laughs> um, <laughs> is what it turns out is the case. Um, oh, it's, yeah. yeah. That was kind of where I wanted to like kind of wrap up our discussion. I guess was talking about like uh, the film, which you don't remember, but the film is so bad because it misses the whole point of the story. Yeah, I remember how the film ends. Um, well, the film ends with like the ending of like the last book. Which is when they destroy like the um the the thing that the man in black is using to like power the thing that's destroying the tower. Like it like the whole story's over by that point. Yeah. It's weird. Whereas this book is like I mean Like you c- this book they're nowhere near the tower. Right? Could you imagine adapt like could you imagine <laughs> Could you imagine if someone handed you this book and then they were like this is what happened with me. I read the book several times and then I saw the film and I was like, What? The actual goddamn hell is this? It has nothing to do with the it's book. It's like, um, like, cause this book is basically like a road movie. If you're mm. gonna make a movie, it would be a road movie with like lots of nice little flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. 
Like, think the second last Harry Potter film where they're just, like, on the road. And it's one of the best ones for that exact reason, because it's just all character work. Yeah. It's what this whole book is. And then the film, it's just nonsense. And it combines, like, five of the books together, plus the ending That's of the final book. That's so weird, book. because, yeah, no, I was thinking about this when I was reading it, actually, when, when it was... Like, because I got past the first bit, which is, you know, it's pretty much all action. Yeah. Um, it's all intrigue and then just yeah, action. Intrigue and then bit of action. And a lot then, of like, gun, yeah. gun shooting. Yeah. And that's, like, all we see of Roland shooting his guns, pretty much. Until, until the, the slow muties, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... I, I, I thought, you know, I guess in the film they were just like, we need more action. We need to show how much of a badass Roland is. And it's like, that's that kind of misses the point. Because the point isn't that Roland is a badass. No. He kind of hates the fact that he's a badass. Yeah, that the, all he's good at is killing. The point is that he doesn't do it. Yeah. And when he's forced to, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, there's a reluctant, there's a reluctance to his true nature. Which is that he is, like, the most gunslinger there's ever been. Like, yeah. That's even, like, the fact that the way that he wins his trial with Court is he tricks him, but then still beats him when he has the under- like, when he's when he's in trouble. Um, yeah. You know, he, he plays the long game by befriending David the bird, or the hawk, yeah. you know. Um, that, like, because Court doesn't believe that you can befriend hawks. So it's that thing of, like, Roland just goes, well, I've decided this is my strategy and I'm going to make it work. Like, he's just the most gunslinger there is. Yeah. And the the film, like, I mean, all the things that happen in the film happen to some extent in the books. Yeah. But, you know, that sequence where they're, it's in the way, it's from the Wasteland book, it's from the third book, which is where they go into that town and they get attacked by, like, the Marauders or whatever. Yeah. In the in the book, that is, the whole story builds up to that. It's the longest book, too. It's, you can see it, it's behind the TARDIS, you can't quite see it here. But it's the second longest book in the series, next to the last one. Because it spends the whole book building up to that encounter where yeah. they think they're safe finally. And then, you know, these marauders, you know, uh, appear. And Roland, who is at that point ready to not be killing people, find, like has to, you know, take out his guns again and do the work that, that he hates doing. Yeah. Or, or that he's reluctant to do. Whereas I think in this story, it definitely captures that a lot more poignantly where he he's... It's like an instinct for him. Like, his natural state is to kill yeah and you see that a lot where like he reacts to things by pulling his you know pulling leather which by the way there are some great turns of phrase in this story for drawing guns that i i'm like king is a fucking genius where he talks about like <laughs> pulling leather drawing iron like they're all so genius i love them all but that's his reaction is he thinks it's the man in black so he's immediately got his guns out yeah um or when he's in the um like but but only when he intends to kill i think what's cool is when in that sequence in the bar in tull when the guy, when it's when he's first there and someone comes up with, like, a knife. Yeah. And he's just like, best go sit down. And the guy doesn't even challenge him. Because it's like, you wouldn't. Because he's this dude that, like, is from another world. He's fucking scary, He's right? fucking terrifying. Like, if you bumped into this dude, you'd be like, actually, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, he's he's haggard. He's got these guns that are so big you've never seen these before. And, you know, the, the film completely ruins that by being oh, like, yeah. they were forged from Arthur's sword or whatever. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it just... Yeah. It's like they completely missed the point of what made the story interesting and, and compelling. Um, and they tried to squish it all into one movie for some reason. I just think they, they just... I just... <laughs> I think they were just like, money. We need money. Oh, there's not enough action in the first book, so let's just yeah. get things from all the other books. Maybe don't make an action film, then. 
God forbid, make a fucking mystery or something. Like, again, Idris Elba, genius casting. Yeah. Because whenever I read it, I can't not see Idris Elba in the story now because he's, <laughs> he's such a perfect Roland. Like, everything about him from, like, that quiet anger. Like, I don't know if you've seen Luther, where he's the main character in Luther, the no. TV show. He plays, like, an alcoholic, like, angry cop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good TV show. It's on Netflix. And he's perfect in this role because it's exactly that role where it's, like, a gunslinger type who just has this, like, quiet rage that seems to always be there but is yeah. always suppressed. Um, and he just seems dangerous. Like, Idris Elba just seems dangerous. Um, because of his kind of quiet confidence, and I think he'd be perfect in that role. Mm-hmm. And they're still doing the TV show for The Dark Tower. It's a complete reboot. Oh, thank God. Um, and I hope they learn their lesson. Uh, surely. I hope that Universal went, maybe what we should do is tell the story from the book that's good. Not make it, not kind of jam it all together and hope it's okay. I mean, yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, they could still fall to some tropey things. Um, I don't think the tropey stuff is would be not well served in this story, though. Like, you could take this and make it a bit more, like, Doctor Who-y in some ways, where there's some kind yeah. of more tropey things in it. But I feel like a lot of a lot of television these days is like, okay, we're going to end the show on a sort of cliffhanger type thing. Yeah. You I, can't just let it sit. I blame The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad for that. Yeah. Where they were like, no episode can just end. There has to be some hook. Yeah. So you come back next week. You know, instead of like what really good TV shows do, like, I mean, like House and Mad Men are good examples where the stories are so self-sufficient that you come back because you know that next week you're going to get another good story. Exactly. Not because there's a cliffhanger where you're like, well, what happens to this person? Um, whereas I think especially, the, and it's network TV, obviously, that makes yeah. that, that happen. But Well, yeah, I mean, shows like True Blood always have like, yeah, here we, here we go. True Blood's an especially egregious example. It really is. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, more cliffhangers. We're going to raise the stakes, and then we're going to raise the stakes again. What's going to happen to Sookie? Still nothing. It's been 12 <laughs> seasons, you fuckwits. Well, they did finish it after, I think, seven. Did they? Oh, that's, a, that's a grace to everyone. I feel the same way about um, uh, Supernatural as well, where they just were like, we did a whole big season finale, but they want five more seasons from us. <laughs> guess we'll make up another villain. Like, And I, I guess, you know, one of the cool things about this story, I mean... The Dark Tower is not perfect as a franchise. There was one point, like, about in the middle of it where Stephen King got hit by a van in real life and thought he was going to die. Oh, jeez. So he wrote, like, two books really quickly because he was like, I might die soon. I need to get these finished. This is my magnum opus or whatever. Yeah. Um, which I think he, he still firmly believes. He's like, this is, this is, like, the thing that I was supposed to do with my life is write these books. And then he writes himself into the story. Oh. And things get really weird. Okay. So... Like, the franchise itself isn't bulletproof as far as, like, its structural integrity. The last book is fucking genius. Um, but there are some elements in this story in particular that knowing, having read the franchise a few times through, like, I've read the series maybe three or four times now from end to end. And reading yeah. this one again, I was like, fuck, I want to go back. Like, it made, me, it made me want to read the next one and the next one and the next one. And I've read them all so many times, but I'm just like, I need... I need that shit because it, yeah. it just there's something about the the intrigue to it and the the vagueness that you you like you kind of join Roland where you're like I know that nothing's going to be resolved properly but I just want more and that kind of um, that weird meta thing where you kind of align with his needs is yeah. a super weird thing that I don't think a lot of books can nail as much. Um, some of J.K. Rowling's mystery stories um, that she published under her other pen name do a similar thing. Yeah. Um, same with like Steg Larson's detective stories where um, like the Girl and the Dragon Tattoo series, they have a similar thing where you end up like kind of almost inhabiting the same cerebral space as the, the main character because you're after that answer for that mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So while it's not a mystery story, I think those are the elements that kind of keep you hooked in. Yeah. Um, and if it was up to me, we would just do the next books for book club. So like the, <laughs> that, we would do, that'd be all we'd do. That'd be a, like, it'd be a Stephen King book yep. club, and we just, just like do the Dark Tower. Just like months and months. Yeah, we'll, we'll like we finish the series and we just start again. Like that would be the entire <laughs> podcast for like the next ten years, and people would stop listening because they'd be like, "Guys, what the fuck?" And I'd be like, "It's still good," you know. <laughs> That's where I'm at with these stories. Like it's just. Uh. I have to. We have to read something else next month that I just don't want. I want to keep fire on reading the next one, which I might do anyway. Um, you probably will. I probably will. I might audiobook the next one. Uh. I might do it while I go to the gym or something like that, um, because then I can justify it to myself. Because I'm exercising and not just reading the same books for like the eighth time or whatever. It's fine. I don't have <laughs> a problem right. at all. I, I do that. Yeah. Um, but do you have any kind of closing thoughts or anything you wanted to bring up before we kind of move on? I don't know. It's one of the few books I've read where. The characters' names are used very rarely, and it's just the boy, the man in black, mm. the gunslinger. I yeah. Did, what did that kind of? Because I know what it does from like a from a lit theory perspective. I kind of know why he does that. But what kind of vibe did you get as that? It's just like a reader. Like, did that work for you? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it kind of. It's less personal when you don't have like the name when it's just like a person. It's like when when you're reading a book and it's like the prologue and they're just like describing people doing stuff mm -hmm. and you don't know any of their names. Um, it's like that, but just the whole way through. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, uh, Bird Box, the book, does that. Yeah. Um, so does Comic McCarthy's The Road. And it's, it's an interesting literary technique where it lets you... Um, something about names in the English language... Like, it doesn't matter what the name is, you put stuff onto it because it sounds a certain way. Yeah. But the gunsling is interesting because it tells you everything, like... So the subtitle originally was The Gunslinger um, Re... It wasn't Redux, it was Re-something else. Hang on, I'm going to find what was... Because it was not... The original subtitle was The Gunslinger Something. Um, and it tells you a lot about the reason that Stephen King didn't initially named these characters super heavily mm -hmm. um i'm just gonna find it yeah because it was uh, so it was originally called resumption um that was the subtitle of the book mm -hmm. um and you know obviously resumption is the act of uh resuming or starting something again mm -hmm. spoilers um yep. might have something to do with the series themes um but the reason that is interesting as far as like why none of the characters are called what they're called is that the idea is the dark tower stands at the nexus of time and space and these characters are just like players in whatever cycle is happening with with time and space and the universe and fate and stuff yeah none of them really matter they're just kind of part of this they just kind of happen yeah um and i don't know if it's necessarily a case of king trying to prove something because it definitely feels that way um, where he's <laughs> like look at how hard i can stunt i'm so good at this um this writing thing but at the same time i think it adds a lot of elements of when you don't have it, like, you know he's called Roland, right? But you still yeah. think of him as the gunslinger. Yeah. And you know it's Jake, but you still think of him as the boy, especially when Roland dissociates when he decides that he's going to let him die. Yeah. Right? And he's the man in black. He's not Walter or whatever. And it lets yeah. you make your own judgments without feeling guilty. So instead of what you would do in a normal story, which is so in that original text when Roland kills Allie, yeah. you don't judge Roland for that. You go, well, it's the gunslinger doing it. It's not. You don't go, well, Roland's a bad person. You go, well, that's just, he had to do it. He didn't have a choice. So yeah. it, like, it frees you a bit from that. Um, frees you a little bit from whatever that consci consci conscientiousness is that you have with character names. But yeah, so to wrap up, um, 
fucking brilliant book. One of my favorites. I'm probably going to read the rest of this series or listen to it at least again. Because I haven't listened to audiobooks yet, and that's that's a fun new experience. Um, next month, we're covering Brimstone Angels by Chris M. Evans. Uh, it was published uh, in 2011. That's one that Evelyn, my sister, keeps telling me to read. Yeah, I've never heard of it, but that's what you're voted for. So if you want to vote for the books, you have to be a Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash DCMworks. Uh, you can vote for... Well, you can vote and also get access to all kinds of exclusive content for less than $3 a month. Um, otherwise, write DCMworks pretty much everywhere. Um, yeah, so Brimstone Angels, um, Aaron M. Evans, which I'm excited about because it's a book I've never fucking heard of. So yeah. I didn't even Google it. So I'm going to go into it fresh. <laughs> I'm just going to buy it and go from there. Cool. Um, which is exciting. It's it, Laura's listed it as contemporary so because it's 2011. So I'm interested to see what that's about. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're a Patreon, I've just posted, I'll post probably when this goes up, I'll post the voting for next month. So you guys have a month to vote as usual. Um, yeah, we can go from there. Uh, otherwise... I'm trying to think of what else I need to plug. Uh, you can buy my book at Um It's a good one, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, it's probably the thing that I'm the most proud of, aside from the podcasts that we do and stuff like that. So go check that out. Uh, if you use uh, coupon code AFAPOD, you get 15% off at checkout. Um, feel like that's everything. If you want to follow us individually, I'm at DCMIHATEPI. I'm at Laura Ducky B. We'll see you guys next month. <laughs>